0: And welcome to VChat number thirty-two. I'm David Davis from VMwareVideos.com and Train Signal, and this is our special end of the world slash Christmas edition. And I'm uh, Eric Siebert from VServerLand.com, and I'm Simon Seagray from TechHead.co. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. Merry Christmas. It's great to be here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's been a while, guys. Merry Doomsday. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Tell you what it all rolled into one i'm yeah.
0: glad we're still here to uh, actually record this
1: Yeah,
0: always a good thing yeah me too so i mean I, it's actually not um midnight yet i guess where i am so but they said it's already the next day in australia so uh, and they're still there so sweet yeah and i didn't hear the ups under my desk go off or anything like that so i'm guessing we're all still okay there
1: so <laughs>
0: <laughs> like that would be the first sign of the end of the world the power goes out <laughs> Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, i yeah. make sure my UPS was fully fully, okay, uh, okay. fully topped up there. Well, you could got a tweet comments. about it, or at least get a blog post up about it. Yeah, I think first I'd get a, 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 you know, SMS message from my network monitoring system that the end of the world is going down. Surely yeah, I'd get some can... sort of notification like that. You're uh, That's good to know that. That's anyway, So, uh, what do we got lined up today? We've got some good topics. Um, we can talk about 2012. We can talk about 2013. You know, whatever we want to talk about. Um, <laughs> I guess uh Simon, I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, so well hey, let's do a
1: recap of twenty twelve. So um, you know, looking back over the year, uh what 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 stood out for you guys? What were some of the uh I guess the highlights or uh some of the uh lower points for you guys um around sort of, you know, IT, the IT industry as a whole. Is there anything that's you know, let, let, let's put an angle on this, I guess, to make it a bit simpler. But um, you know, was there any particular product or uh or anything that came to market that really grabbed your attention there that uh Hang on, the lights have gone off, David. Uh-oh. That's not a good sign. Fine. <laughs> Uh-oh, my well, power's out. The end of the world's starting con- in the Carolinas. We can continue. We're
0: on battery. <laughs> cool. We can still see it. <clears throat> I think we spoke too soon. <laughs> if I drop off, you guys just keep on talking and, and wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> and head down okay. to the shelter, right? yeah yeah alrighty so um so 2012 guys um let David
1: before you drop off the face of the earth there. let's uh let's get your thoughts on that. what 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 really stood out for you in the in the IT space you know maybe the emergence of a new technology or product for example
0: um you know vSphere 5.1 and and the vCloud suite you know I think are pretty exciting um I think probably what's more exciting for me though is just the um the increased competition I think in the industry you know with Windows Server 2012 Hyper-V and you know, I I think that sort of competition just um, excites people and and gets people talking. So, you know, I think the more excitement and competition, you know, the better off we all are. So um, I guess that was the thing that, that I think about most. Yeah, definitely. And Eric, what about you?
2: You know, I thought overall 2012 was a fairly quiet year when you look at what, you know, VMware kind of brought to mark. You know, it wasn't a major release year for VMware. Um, they seem to have gone on to this every other year uh, with the major release model now. Um, you know, they did make a, a bit of a splash with 5.1. You know, had some little stuff in it, nothing huge. You know, I think with their... Um, the big thing there was kind of some of their their, their shift in strategy with their software design data center, um, kind of that, that route that they're going with the um, trying to fulfill that, the storage and the networking pieces by buying uh, Nasira and trying to get that integrated. And then, uh, you know, they've been working on the storage side for a while, and I think next year we'll finally see that come to light. Um, so, you know, like I said, overall, a fairly quiet year, I thought, on the VMware side and that, um, you know, it wasn't. A whole lot that really stood out for me, and then you know I think it was kind of a business as usual with VMware. They're kind of putting themselves in position to you know really get to that cloud level. I think next year will be a lot more exciting because a lot of these products have been talking about for a while now. every VMworld has been showing these things that um, like on the desktop side, we haven't seen them come to light yet. So I think next year is when we're really going to see a lot of good stuff, and next year should be really exciting.
1: Yeah, your project horizon stuff. Hey, so one thing you touched on there, Eric, and I mean, uh, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this. So the software defines data center. I mean, you know, we had virtualization a few years back. That was the buzzword. Then we moved to cloud. Then we moved to big data. The, the, the latest buzzword really is all around sort of software defined data center or SDDC. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, uh, a, a good thing? I mean, for me, I think it's a natural progression. It makes a lot of sense, you know, utilizing this commodity hardware again. I mean, at the end of the day, all these devices, networks, storage or whatever, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a piece of tin running software, right? So, I mean, I guess if you can encapsulate that software and get it running on the commodity hardware, it's got to be good for everyone. I would have thought, you know, there's going to be, uh, in theory, cost savings to be have a lot more efficiencies uh, and what have you. So, uh, yeah, what are you, what are your guys' thoughts on that?
2: Well, you know, it's always about the software. When you look at the end of the day, what we're trying to do with servers, it's always about software. You know, VMware is a software company. They're not a hardware company. So, of course, they're going to want to maximize their kind of, um, you know, how they do things with software, you know, to the fullest extent. So um, I think that's just an actual progression for VMware is to move into the software space further with things like storage and networking and that. Um I I don't know how successful they're gonna be. I think the there is a lot of benefits to doing it on the hardware side, especially with networking and storage. You know, kind of softwareizing the compute stack is pretty easy, but on on the storage side, um you know there's a lot there that storage arrays doing, there's a lot of value add that a storage array does and you know same on the networking side as well. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, once they do bring these products to light, kind of the adoption and usage and kind of the use cases for all these things that they're um, new technology that's trying to do a software instead of hardware. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: What about you, David?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the SDDC concept, I think, is is really cool. And like Eric said, the natural progression for VMware. Um, you know, what a lot of people don't see, I guess, is that it's still so, you know, VMware's solution for it is still so immature, I, I guess, to in in, uh, in terms of fulfilling, you know, everything that a software-defined data center could be. And I think, you know, that's not a surprise to VMware or, or putting them down. Um, but they know they have a lot of different, you know, pieces that over time, the storage piece and the networking piece and, um, everything that they can do to sort of, you know, merge vCenter and vCloud Director and, and just make these products more mature, um, to really fulfill that, that SDDC vision they have. So I, I guess, you know, SDDC, SDDC is a really a vision for VMware at this point, not, not so much a, a product.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's definitely more of a vision, you know, that, that they've uh, you know they've put out there, and I I think you know they obviously they're realistic with it because there aren't too many products at all out there at the moment that could f- fulfil that. So it's definitely going to be a good year, a couple of years, I think, before it's uh, hits the mainstream or maturity, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that that they're obviously sort of aiming for, you know, across the board or the widespread adoption, probably more to the point. Um, So I guess taking it back to the original question, so, um, yeah, for me, a big thing for 2012, products or technology, would probably have to be around uh, solid state. I mean, um, I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but the prices over here in the U.K., um, uh, you know, um, uh, solid state disks have really dropped in price. Uh, capacities are getting larger. Um, quite often, you know, if you, if you look out, you'll quite often get a good price on, uh, you know, a 256 gig SSD, for example. Um, seems to be dropping more and more, uh, definitely in the consumer space. I guess in the enterprise space as well, you know, prices are dropping, capacities increasing. And, uh, you know, we're seeing companies doing some pretty exciting stuff with them now, you know, everything from the, uh, from the caching aspect, um, through to all the small startups you're seeing around the place now. It's obviously a really hot product. Um, and that'll probably go into 2013 as well. So, uh, you know, I've been quite fortunate working for EMC that uh, I've had exposure to uh, a lot of these technologies And, uh, yeah, they've definitely been good, good fun to work with and play with as well um, Some pretty powerful stuff
2: Yeah, that's definitely a big one on the storage side. We're seeing it a lot on the consumer side that, you know, even like laptops these days are pretty much almost standard now starting to come with SSDs and that, you know, less so on the desktops. But I think more and more, especially next year, we'll we'll probably start to see a tipping point where SSDs become a lot more commonplace, especially as the cost comes down and that and the capacities go up. That's always been kind of a limitation there, the capacity side and, and with costs as well. Um, enterprise side, yeah, like you said, I definitely I think it it's plays a key role. And, um, you know, I think in a perfect world, we want all SSDs if they were that cheap and, and reliable and, and the cost was down there and that. So I think um, we'll definitely see a lot more adoption next year and a lot more enterprises strategically using SSDs in their environments to really get that benefits that they, they offer.
1: Yeah, it's exciting stuff. It's made my life a lot easier this year, especially when I'm doing, uh, you know, if I'm doing video de- de- demos, for example, the editing, uh much, much easier, much more responsive than doing uh, on SSD. And as well as, obviously, in my home lab here as well, you know, um I wouldn't say the majority, but uh, definitely my more heavy-lifting VMs, you know, my uh, virtual center uh VMs, my SQL server VMs, for example. I'm running those on SSD now. Um And also, I don't know about you guys, I mean, I always... You know, these, are uh, sort of home commodity sort of, uh, components such as SSDs or disks in general, I always sort of, um, gauge them as as sort of the widespread adoption of them or at least in, 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 and how I use them, I guess, is, uh, you know, whether I have spares, um, around the place at all. And, uh, literally the other day I was, I was going through all my components and, you know, I found I had two sixty four gig SSDs that I didn't have in a machine and I wasn't utilizing. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. If you, uh, you tend to have a lot of, like, I got hard
2: drives laying around on that, and that's just these used to be, you know, they were expensive, so if you bought them, you used them. But like
1: you said, now they become... More commoditized, which yeah, yeah. Right you, well. you open up your drawer and you have one sort of sitting yeah. around. In there. It, it was the same with you know with SATA disks and parallel disks. You know, you, you probably remember the day when you know it went from parallel to SATA, and then before you knew it, you know, I'd be hard pushed now to go and find a ribbon cable to actually <laughs> plug in um, <laughs> into any of my old um, parallel disks I've got. You know, then obviously we're doing the next next transition again across to SSD. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the prices coming down a bit
2: more. Definitely, SSDs are, I, I'd, I'd never go back, you know, ha, now having one in my desktop and that, um, you know, I'd, I'd never go back to having a normal spinning magnetic drive in my, in my computer, once you've had one.
1: No. I mean, I quite like the idea of the hybrid drives, I actually run one, um, well, actually it's in my uh, Mac Pro now, I mean, it's only a two and a half inch one, but uh, it's one of the hybrid drives there, where it's got a mix of, you know, a couple of uh, couple of gigs of, you um, uh, you know, SSD or memory in there, uh, as, along with the spinning disk as well. So it sort of acts as uh, a large buffer, I guess, uh, and that that offers pretty good performance, even from a two and a half inch uh, form factor uh, yeah. disk as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely comparable. Obviously, not as fast as an SSD, but uh, it's, it's you know it's, it's, it's not too bad. And especially if you want to get something in your laptop there, and you can't quite uh, the budget doesn't quite stretch to uh, you know an SSD based disk. What's that Apple drive they have now that they're offering with new? Is
2: it the, that super drive, the one that you're talking about, that hybrid? I have a name for it. I forget what the – Ah,
1: that's the, that, that's the Apple one. No, no. I'm just using a uh, – it's just a normal C-game. one. I can't remember so, who. C-c- it's Seagate, isn't it? Ma- the yeah. Momentum? Yeah, they've been making them Yeah, yeah. I them. mean, that's what I've got. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I've been using and um, found it quite uh, successful. I don't know anything about the Apple one. I mean, I did read a little bit about it when they announced it, but uh, I haven't heard too much more about that since. Yeah, they're expensive. I know that. Yeah, yeah, as is everything Apple. <laughs> I tell you it's going to be expensive though. I mean, uh, here we go. So I've I finally taken the plunge. So, uh, I bought myself like a little uh little iPad mini here. So, um, for the last couple of years I've been using a Gen 1. Um, and I'm sure, part of the conspiracy theory, I'm sure every update that Apple pushes out, they uh, they've put a sort of a, a software handbrake on the older models, so, uh, you know, that uh, compels you to go out and buy or update your your iPad. So I've taken the plunge anyway. Uh, when I was over in the States uh, for Thanksgiving, I was uh, fort- fortunate enough to get my hands on one. Um, and I've got to say, absolutely love it. Great great form factor. When you're lying in bed, for example... Um, really, really, uh, you know, you can hold it in one hand, for example, like so. Uh, so it's like reading, like, a small paperback book. Um, going from Gen 1 to this, this latest version, I mean, everyone that's had a Gen 2 or, you know, the, the later models or the larger ones will be used to this magnetic cover. That's, yeah. that's my only complaint. I thought I'd like it, but, uh, you know, especially if you're swing somewhere or you're lying in bed with it, I mean, I find it clips off all the time and uh, makes it quite hard to hold. So uh, that's my only complaint with it, but, uh, like I say, lovely form factor, nice and quick. Um, yeah, it's a pretty... Pretty pretty happy with it. with that. Uh,
2: uh, that getting one because I really enjoy the Apple for you know consumption things. I got the the Gen three one, and that so and it is kind of big to carry, It's good for some things, but there's other times I'd like to have that smaller form factor with me. Um, so I, I think I'll probably end up eventually getting one. And that I went the opposite way with the phone. I finally did see iPhone after three of them, and went with the, the Samsung Galaxy S three, and uh, no regrets wow. at all and that's so um but on the tablet side I think cool. the iPad is definitely I think the, my favorite device for, for using in that form factor
1: Yeah I mean I was going to make the jump across to Nexus um for my next tablet, but uh, over here in the UK, they, they proved to be quite hard to get hold of. Um, I, I wanted the one with the uh, c- cellular uh, capability in it as well. Okay. So uh, they're still very, very hard to get over here, and it just so happens, like I say, I was in the States, and um, I was fortunate enough to walk into an Apple store that actually carried stock. So, uh, oh, cool. yeah. so uh, yeah, I'll be sticking with this for the next couple of years, um, yeah. and then uh, it'd be yeah. interesting to see what they'll have in uh, at that point when I go to refresh again. Yeah, it's not Retina right now, is it? No, (laughs) it's not that there is... There is a bit of speculation online that there may be a Retina Mini coming out, but I don't know. It seems they seem to be pretty divided on it. Some people think, yeah, it's on its way. Other people said, look, you know, because of the extra uh, CPU horsepower you need and the uh, extra battery requirements for powering the Retina screen, they don't seem to think at this stage that you could get it into the Mini form factor. But uh, who knows? You know what it's like. There's all these rumors flying around. I think the big thing was cost. They wanted to
2: drive that price point down because they got two products that are bookmarked by the the iPod Touch and. the iPad the full-size price-wise they want to fit that on the lower end to compete with those 7-inch Android tablets um, so I think it's another decision was the retina display costs more and um, they don't want to drive that price point up at this point I've been looking at the, the iPod touches are pretty cool too but
1: they cost more than the iPad mini and then I'd like to see that price come down because those are pretty cool mm-hmm. devices That's the attractive thing with the mini. And, I mean, to be honest with you, would I want to pay a bit extra to get a retina screen, even if I could? Probably not. I mean, the screen's really, really crisp on it. Okay. I I think it would be a bit overkill. I mean, it's a tablet at the end of the day, right? And, I mean, okay, you know, the screen's going to be a lot crisper, a lot more high-res and everything. But, you know, for what? The average person, such as myself, uses it for, you know, email, a bit of web browsing, watching movies. Yeah, you know, you you don't really need the retina, in my opinion, anyway.
2: And I think the larger you go, the more impact the retina has on that smaller form factor. Or you, le- you notice it less because it is a smaller screen. Yeah,
1: yeah. So uh so,
0: yeah, that's that's be my uh, big pitch. Just that's cool, man. Well don't don't tell my wife but her surprise Christmas gift is over here in the closet ah, and it's an iPad yeah. mini. So ah, that's uh sweet. but I'll, I'll get to play with it I'm sure. So very nice. I don't have to post this before Christmas. And then I got then. My, yeah, I I w I won't <laughs> let her watch it before Christmas. Um <laughs> But she's a big fan. No, she's she's really not. Um, but I got my my three year old son one of those Navi tablets, oh, I uh, Eric, could've. that you suggested at one point. Yeah, you got two of those. You like them? Yeah, they're
2: okay. They got the I got the first generation one. Um, they had some issues, um, like the chargers both failed within the first month. I think it was a known issue. They sent me new chargers. Um, You can't, I wish you could do more, add some more apps from the Android market. You can kind of hack your way into that. Um, There's a way to do that. But I'd like to have access to the full Android experience on them. Instead of that, you know, it's nice having that kit interface. But when you go into that that mommy mode, they call it, it's nice to be able to have the full function of Android and the app store, and that to put other stuffs on that you can't get through the the normal channels and the interface that they have. But overall, I think it's yeah, it's a good but There's a couple clones out there now. If you go, you'll probably see oh, at yeah, least yeah. three other clones uh, of that concept for kids and that. Uh, but I think they're good for, uh, and my kids play with all that stuff all the time. So I think it's good. You know, it's great for you know kid, even down to the age of you know one two year old. I think you can still um, they can get some usage out of some of those apps that are really geared towards those younger kids and really helping their development.
0: Mm. You can even watch Netflix on it. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I ended up getting the net two for one hundred and thirty nine bucks. Oh wow. So, uh, oh, that's, that's yeah, pretty good. Really cheap.
1: Hey, speaking of Netflix though, I, I, I gotta tell you, you guys in the States have got a much better selection on Netflix than we do here in the UK. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but it's, uh, yeah, we have the occasional sort of semi-recent movies on there, but Netflix in the UK is, uh, is more like a 1990s back catalog, huh. uh, more than anything. Interlaced with the occasional, uh, with the occasional semi-modern movie on it. Um, it is getting better over time, but, uh, you know, when I'm in the States, if I, if I log into my Netflix, there, and I'm always blown away with the selection you guys have. Uh, wow. Definitely really? much better. The, uh, the yeah, that's are,
0: my big complaint with Netflix. Just, oh, my uh, big complaint with Netflix is the selection in the States yeah. even. even. The newer stuff especially.
1: It's interesting. My, um, I was thinking about the other day. My, my buying habits are changing. Um, I didn't think it would. I knew it would happen, but not so quickly. Um, you know, I, I'm amazed at the amount of uh, media content that I now buy online. Um, I mean, I recently had the uh, had my broadband upgraded, but even before then, whereas i a sort of what a three to three to four meg down and a half meg up, you know, it was pretty slow, but it was still good for for, for streaming video content um, over the internet. But it's interesting, you know, I, I haven't bought a DVD. I can't even remember the last DVD yeah. I bought, but oh, exactly. everything I buy now. I've... I've yeah, I catch myself all the time now. I'm buying either a TV series on iTunes or movies. I've subscribed to Netflix, um, even across the software, because I'm predominantly uh using Mac now. Um, I'll always go to the App Store first, yeah. and, uh you know, people. a bit like on the iPad. Yeah, I buy so many applications even for the Mac now uh, just off the App Store just because just it's convenient. So it's interesting how my buying habits have, have shifted there. So, uh you know, I'd be interested to know how, how other people have uh, adapted theirs or whether they have it at all or, you know. I'm um, the same way, except books.
2: Books are one thing I won't really buy. On I, I have a Kindle, iPad, all that stuff, but I, I just like the paper copies. It's, it's a lot easier, and you don't find the whole selections on on the um, you know the iPad or the the Amazon stuff and that. So for me, for books, I, I still always buy paper books. I don't really buy the the online stuff at all. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm probably buying more more electronic than I do. Real books, but I mean that's predominantly t- because where I live now, um, yeah, it's not too many bookshops around no. anymore. They've all been uh, oh, they either are. swallowed up or uh, gone out of business, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, true, true. I mean, yeah, I can still buy through Amazon, but, uh, it's also, it's a storage thing as well. I mean, you know, I've got boxes and boxes yeah. of books that I've got to try and do something with. Same with DVDs. I mean, I'm going to convert all my DVDs, um, you know, digitally and then I'm, you know, I'll either give them, give them away or sell them or something like that. I think, uh, just to try and claw back a bit of space in the house.
2: So you got all this media, and it's nice that it stores a lot of it in the cloud for you, so if you want to redownload it, but if you're ripping like DVDs, how do you back that stuff up then? Do you have,
1: do you store it? Especially if you get rid of the media, what do you do to protect all that? investment. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've, I've just recently gone through a bit of, over, over, of an overhaul here at home because uh, I've always had uh, for many, many years now I've got a little little Drobo Gen two Drobo that I've used. So uh, it's got four four SATA discs in there, and it's, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty reliable, but uh, I've just noticed the performance on it even after I just get all the data off and you know uh, rebuild it effectively, and then drop the data back on. Uh, you know, I'm only getting around about twenty megabytes uh, a second throughput. Off of four discs. Um, you know, I, I think what's really, you know, I tried video editing, keeping my, uh, vi- uh, you know, my uh, master files on there and editing off of that. That's what really drew my attention to how slow it actually was. So, um, I don't know whether it's the device itself or what it is, but it just seems to be getting slower and slower. So I've, I'm pretty much getting rid of the Drobo now, um, and uh, I've got a little PX4 I Omega, PX4 little NAS device. So uh, I've, yeah, I've actually started transferring everything across onto that now. So uh, you know, all, 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 my, uh, you know content, all my you know video contents, all my you know rip movies from DVDs that I own um, are, are going onto that now. Um, and I've got around about six six terabytes or seven terabytes, something like that. So for me, that's uh, that's enough for now. But isn't it amazing? You know the amount of uh, content we have now. You know that we're trying to store at home and back up and everything. Yeah. It's just just phenomenal. See, I use Dropbox um, to
2: store a lot of that. They've um, they recently upped the doubled the capacity you can get. So I had the fifty gig account, the paid one, and they doubled that. I think from all the competition they've been having to hundred gigs. So a lot of my key media stuff, like all my music and stuff like that, I'll dump on the Dropbox. So it's all replicated in the cloud. And I can get to it from anywhere, and you know it's always if something happens locally, I do have it all backed up on my iomega as well and on the PC. But you know if something happened here, they'd both be gone. So you know having something in the cloud is nice to have that that extra layer of backup resiliency if you
1: need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm using Dropbox for all my day-to-day stuff. Everything that i traditionally have in a my documents folder, I store in Dropbox. Uh, everything else, such as photos, I, uh, have on local disks. Well, this is my new, new way of doing it. Um, and I use Crash Plan. Uh, Crash Plan I find excellent. Um, I mean, the client with it is brilliant because you can upload to their, you know, their, their cloud backup service, but it also allows you to back up to attached devices as well. So I actually make two, two copies, oh, no. uh, of everything. All my video, you know, edit, uh, content editing files all my photos, all that type of stuff. So I back it up to the cloud, up to crash plan, but I also back it up to uh, the iMega PX device as well. So I've got two copies of it. So if I ever have, it, I have to restore, it's going to be a lot quicker to bring it down locally, but, y- you know, um, if something a bit more <laughs> drastic happens, I- I've still got the option of bringing it back down from the cloud. Uh, so that's my current sort of backup plan. And so day-to-day stuff, I'm just running stuff off of single SATA or SSD disk, and, okay. you know, if they fail... Yeah, it's not the end of the world. I can bring it back pretty quickly.
0: Okay, cool. Hey, so for you guys who rip all your DVDs, um, do you have some way to play them on a TV? Like, do you have a media server of some kind? Because yes, I've Windows. tried to put them all in iTunes and
2: what's that? I use a Windows media server, and I can stream it right to my Xbox. Do you? So I watch it all. I could store okay. it locally on a PC or on the iOmega, and I could watch it all on the Xbox. Works great
1: for me. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for me, I... Uh, mm-hmm. I've got an Xbox, but it was one of the first-gen ones, so you start it up, and it smells like, it uh, smells, <laughs> sorry, it actually, um, it's pretty dusty, so it does smell a bit, but um, no, it actually sounds like a, a small jet engine, so it's not, not the sort like of thing I can generally, generally keep running whilst the TV's on. Um, I've heard the later models are a lot quieter, so uh, I'd probably look at going through, I don't know whether you can do it with an Apple TV. I've got an Apple TV, yeah. but I'd yeah. imagine an Apple, Apple being Apple, do it. but because I haven't bought it from them. That, that do that.
0: Yeah, I've done it with an Apple TV, but it makes, you know, your iTunes library, you know, when you're putting, like, one to four gig uh, DVDs in your iTunes library, it just uh, becomes massive, and it's just kind of, it doesn't seem like it's really built for that. I think there's a couple. Yeah, I'll of be honest with you. I haven't done
1: too much research into it so far.
2: Um, yeah, a couple of those boxes you can buy. Those kind of like Roku's or not Roku specifically, but some of the other ones you can get. Like the Western Digital will read from file shares and stuff like that on the network. So, um, so I think a lot of those basic boxes now will do a lot of that streaming too. Because you know, ultimately, you just want to dump them on a drive somewhere and be able to stream it to the TV. You know, it makes uh, it's the easiest way to do it. So, um, for for me, the Windows right. Media Server and Xbox works great. But I'm sure there's other. Devices that can handle that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've got a, a Roku, and I really like it for you know, i watch watching Netflix, and okay. it does a few other things. Um, I've got a new Samsung TV with the built-in oh, whatever smart. they call it web interface. I mean, okay. it's got oh, a web yeah. browser, it's got Netflix, <laughs> it's got different applications, it's uh, even got Skype. So i cool. mounted it up on my wall in the bedroom. And you know you could have like I haven't tested it yet, but it has a, a webcam you put on oh, the top sweet. of the TV. That's cool. And you can you can use Skype from your bedroom. I'm thinking I better you know look that's nicer. That's dangerous. In we could be in cool my pajamas. Yeah, beach chat from your bedroom next time. <laughs> we we could. I'll just sit in bed. <laughs> bedroom edition. <laughs> yeah, I don't think your wife would
1: approve to <laughs> that though, David. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's amazing how hey, so these can... Yeah, I mean, I, I just went out the back there. I've got one of these little guys as well. It's a little western digital western box. Digital um, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've, I've stopped using it now because pretty much I buy all my content. Um, well, I either use Netflix on the Apple TV or I buy my contents on iTunes now. Although I swore I was never going to do that. I caved in. Um, but this is pretty good. I mean, you've got a little, uh, you know, HDMI on the back. You've got USB there as well where you can plug in a USB drive or something. So that's the other way. Just create MP4 files of your content, and then have a like a one-terabyte drive or something. <laughs> just plug it into the back of this, and then just stream it straight off of there. Um, okay. It's got network connectivity as well. so. Um.
0: Somebody told me to check out, it's called Plex Media Server. It's like an open-source, uh, maybe an open-source version of Windows Media oh. Center, I'm guessing. So you could run but it up, okay. as a VM and uh, yeah. stream, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. pretty cool.
1: That's pretty cool. Hey, so I mean, we, we were just touching on something there. I mean, obviously, you know, we all create a ton of data now. You know, uh, whether it be converting existing stuff, um, a project that's, uh, I mean, EMC. Um, the only reason I mentioned it was is because um, working for EMC had exposure to it. Uh, was this uh, whole human face of big data project that went on recently, uh, and that was that was really fascinating, actually. Um, Off the back of that, uh, an iPad uh, application, and also uh, a—it's like a coffee table book. I I haven't seen it myself. I've seen photos of it. It looks quite good. But uh, it's a project that was run uh, not by EMC. It was by a a, you know a third party company, and um, you know we we were one of the sponsors on it. but it was interesting. It was about sort of uh, crowdsourcing a ton of uh, data from around the world over a period of time, um, obviously all relating to to data, you know, and what we generate, you know, everything from medical through to sports and all that type of thing. And, um, they, you know, they even went out to Twitter and actually sort of analyzed the conversations that were running on Twitter. Um, uh, for, for, for for that period as well and then sort of compiled all this information did a lot of sort of uh, cool sort of uh, data crunching on it and everything like that and uh, off the back of that obviously came out with some pretty cool stats and facts and figures and everything uh, but as well as that they produced this iPad application um, and also this, this book you can buy um, and as well as that obviously a lot of photos were being taken from around the world as to what was happening uh, around the world within this sort of you know this this is a period of time so uh, that, that was quite a that was a very interesting project um that uh, that, that i was definitely uh, keeping an eye on and uh, like i say EMC was one of the uh one of the co-sponsors or you know they, they played quite a large part in it. um obviously internally we we had quite a bit of exposure to you know how it was going and, and what have you so definitely take a look at that it's really fascinating the the results that pulled out of that
2: yeah we're definitely in the era of big data i mean it's just it's growing and growing and growing, and yeah, definitely. That's, I think that's, uh you know, especially in the data center, there's just so much stuff that's getting piled in there now. You really have to be able to handle all that mm. stuff.
1: It's interesting though, I mean, it, it, when I went through this, this, this thing recently where I was figuring, figuring out, okay, I'm going to transfer all the stuff off my Drobo across the PX. At the end of the day, apart from my photos, I didn't really, really need anything else. Right. Oh, yeah. But it was amazing. When I went through it, it's a bit like your basement or your attic, you know, you go through that and you go, well, I might need it one day, you know, so I went through it out. Um, <laughs> and so you just end up keeping all this crap, you know, you know, my photos are probably like maybe, maybe a terabyte, maybe even less than that, you know, but I end up with four or five you know, terabytes of uh, of data that I'm wanting to back up. Um, you know, and I can tell you at the moment what half of it is, but I just definitely didn't want to throw it out at the time because yeah, it may come in useful. You know, um, <laughs>
2: I, I recently tried to clean house a bit, especially to slim my Dropbox down on that. And, yeah, you'd be amazed at what you keep. And, you know, do you, when you look at it several years later, you know, it's like, why did I keep that? Do I still need that? And you usually trash a lot of it, but...
1: Well, the issue you have as well, you get, you've got all this data and half the time. Unless you've got a really good search, you know, unless you have an index and you've got a good search mechanism, you know, your chances of finding half the stuff as well. And the more you add in there, it's, it's, it's sometimes easier just to go out and recreate something from scratch again as opposed to trying to track it down. So, yeah, a yeah, bit of a catch-22 there. You know, if you've got it, definitely get it indexed. Um, yep. Very important. Yep. Agreed.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I've got the same problem. Multiple copies of data on multiple (laughs) computers, but it's, it's all duplicates and backed up and I don't remember why I backed it up and what it is and I don't need most of it and, but I don't want to get rid of it either. So yeah, well, let's buy more drives. I
1: don't
0: right. know. But you end up a bit like before, like I was saying with the SSD
1: drives. I mean, I've got probably three or four external little two and a half inch external drives here as well. Okay. And because they're only like 120, 120 gigs or so, you go, ah, oh, it's not, not worth it. A bit like the USB keys you get at the shows and what have you, you know. It'd be great if you could try and recycle those somehow. Um, you know, because they just kick around the place. And you're never going to use a one gig USB key again for anything. So, uh, you know, I've got the same issue with. Like there you go. Look tons at that. and tons of things.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I could make a this sort of thing is a humongous storage array out of those things. From what I
1: have, I probably got terabytes and terabytes there. <laughs> yeah, imagine imagine what the USB uh, expander port you'd need to get all those in there. Yeah, okay, so. yeah, get one of those huge ones, big hubs, make a out of it.
2: <laughs> What's the so biggest um, one you have? Um, I think thirty gig, you, you can go to Micro Center now and buy those things so dang cheap. Even the USB 3.0 ones, because my, my computer here, my new desktop has that. Um, are still really cheap in that. So the 32 gig you can get, I think, for under twenty bucks at Micro Center, and the 64s even wow. are pretty cheap, under thirty. So
0: it's really just come down. Yeah, measure. I've got a thirty. Yeah, I've got a 32 gig, that, and I got it from Tech ed, uh, Microsoft was giving away Windows 8 to go. So it's the Windows 8 operating system and you just plug it in and you boot off of it on any laptop without having to, uh, you know, install it. Um, but yeah, I was shocked they gave me a 32 gig USB key, And at the time I was thinking, yeah, that's got to be worth a fortune. But, um, yeah, like you said, now they're down to yeah, like 20 yeah, bucks. It's <laughs>
2: like I got micro centers on every size, you know, four,
1: eight, 16, 32. <laughs> <laughs> I bought this. This is a Corsair GT. I bought this about, oh, it must be about two years ago, maybe even longer. That's a 32 gig, and that cost me a fortune. I mean, that was like 90 pounds at the time. I mean, I've more than got my value for money out of it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I guarantee these aren't going for 90 pounds now.
2: And plus, every yeah. vendor in the world gives you one now. I got Cloud Foundry, Hyper IP, VMware, NetApp, oh, man. Yeah. Symantec, Veeam. So, no shortage of
1: them. I've got a couple of, uh, couple of EMC ones. I've oh, got one of those. <laughs> yeah, I've got cool. the cloud, too. Uh, some of those. Cool I don't know ones what the capacity now. is on it.
2: I saw one that has a tail that wags. So you plug it into your thing, and it's got like a tentacle, and the tentacle will actually
1: move. <laughs> so, the stuff that keeps the American amused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey so guys let's talk uh let's talk home labs briefly um how are your home labs doing what are you still running them and if so what it what, what are you running these days mine's all in pieces i had
2: to take everything out of my man cave for new carpeting and that so i took everything apart and trying to get it all back together i still have the two ml 110 hp servers and two micro servers. i just upgraded the the micro server, um put another nick in it i tell you those things are a pain in the butt to take apart and that to get anything in it and that when you upgrade it and that because you got to remove oh, like yeah. eight cables and then slide that tray all the way out and then put something in it and slide it all back in and recable it. So I added another nick to it um, last week, and the memory I bumped up to the max of 16 gigs. So. Um, but other than that, I still got the same. I have the iOmega PX, um, a Netgear a Synology, and I actually saw an article on, a, I think it was Lifehacker, the best NAS units, and out of the, the five they um, had there for voting, or, or the, uh, the users were recommending, three of them were Synology units in that. So the Synology units, I got one of the smaller ones, the two drives one, the DS211. I've heard a lot of good things about in that. And um, you know, my experience, I haven't used it a lot, but it's been pretty good as well. One that got the best votes out of the, the Home NAS units um, on their poll was a roll your own, build your own, and that, you know, just kind of putting things together, putting things like uh uh, open filer on it and making a NAS that way and that. So, <clears throat> so um, a lot of options there for NAS. And then I the networking, I got the, the 1 gig Netgear switch, the, uh, um, 30 or 24 port, the big one and that. So, nothing new, no additions though, since then. So, I got this, gotta get it all back together and up and running and
1: vSphere 5.1 on it. What about you, David? how's uh, your lab looking?
0: Uh, it's doing good. i still got, you know, the, the couple older Dell, um, vSphere servers now with vSphere 5.1 on them. Uh, I've got a Dell server pretty new with um, Windows 2008 R2 Hyper-V that is kind of a utility server. Like, I actually run vCenter over there and an Active Directory domain controller. I've got a couple um, super micro servers with, like, 24 gigs of RAM that I'm running Windows 2012 Hyper-V on. Uh, The only problem is when I power them on, they sound like a hurricane in the room, and they create a bunch of heat, and they're they're a real pain. of course, the guy on eBay I bought them from, you know, didn't mention that they... They sound like a hurricane when you turn them on. So, not are sure. They, Long term, I, I don't think I want those around. Yeah, are they desktop or rack or? Uh, how, they're rack of, mount. Oh,
2: they're rack. Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, which I yeah, thought would be cool because they'd be smaller, but I didn't think about how much louder they would be. Yeah, all that different so. sort of stuff
1: yeah I think yeah. definitely for home lab environments these days the way forward is uh um, you know i've always been quite keen of having individual servers for each things uh, you know each each uh, esx host or each host for example but um i'm definitely going around to the way of thinking now that uh, you know an all in one um, box with nested esx host instances is the way forward uh definitely a lot cheaper to run and just max it out with uh, with memory you know take it up to thirty two gigs if you can or similar um, get some sSD in there and just have a nice all in one type solution uh yeah. So well, speaking of different. home labs, I know there's
2: a – I think Unitrans has a giveaway right now. They're giving away kind of a – it seems like a trend now has been for a lot of these vendors to give away a complete home lab. So Unitrans is giving one away right now. If you go to their website, um, you can register for that. And Veeam, um, they were giving away one earlier in the year, and they're giving away another one um, uh, for uh, the end of the year thing. I think you can still register uh, up until – Yeah, they're really sweet. End of the month. Yeah, I mean it's got the ML 310 server, so it's a big server. It's not like those 110s. It's the next step up in that. So the, the 300 line is the bigger guys. I think where uh, HP is phasing out the smaller, the the 110 line and the 150 line. Yeah. So I think only the micro server and the next one up would be the ML 300 series in that. But they're giving away the the Netgear, the Ready NAS, another great NAS unit. I have one here, and uh, also a HP uh, 16 gig Ethernet switch. And uh, so they got a nice package there, so same with Unitrend. Unitrend I think is doing the ML110s, the G7s. So make sure you hit both those sides. I mean, hey, it's, you get a chance to win, it doesn't cost you anything, so might as well uh, try to get your, your home life started.
1: Yeah, just, just around the home lab servers there, Eric. It's interesting, actually. Like you say, uh, HP have phased out the ML110, you know, the G7s now. Um, you've got the microserver, but the interesting, the microserver is obviously AMD-based. Uh yeah. It's going to be interesting to see whether they bring out maybe an Intel-based microserver yeah. at some Let's stage so to give that more CPUs. Supply. To, to plug that gap uh, yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. It's interesting because over here, I mean, for the last, what, 18 months, perhaps even longer, they've been running the £100 cashback deal. So you pick up one of those little microservers um, for, oh, gosh, I think it's about £90, £95 after cashback. So pretty cheap. Um, but yeah. this is the last month. They're actually stopping it. Um, so that's why they're stopping it. I don't know. I mean, I guess they have to end at some stage. But, uh, no promotion. but yeah, that's, that's proven to be a... Be a good little box, but like you say, CPU. You know, if you start yeah. doing anything remotely heavy lifting on it, I wish they put an i3
2: in there. You know, something on the lower end with more cores. Um, I think right now it's it's like a one point seven. Um, I think it's one point five or something. It's, it's not an atom, but it's something. Yeah, it's a cool call one point five yeah. Notebook. Okay. Yeah, they, they came out with a newer model that bumped the specs on it slightly. Uh, the megahertz. Yeah, uh, but that, that was about it. I got
1: one of the old. Yeah. Ones. Yeah. That then. Yeah, that's the N36, isn't it, the N36L, and it went to the N40L? Yeah, the N40, I got um, one of each. The yeah, I've got one. one here, I don't know what you can... And, uh, you know, right.
2: there you go. I, I, got I love the form factor. Mine. I mean, you can't beat this as a server form factor, and it holds a lot. you got four Ooh. drives in here that you can hold, um, upgrade to 16 meg. The one thing that's dragged me down is the CPU. I just wish the CPU was a little bit more powered. Um, you know, you can expand it. I put this NIC in here the other day, so now I have two NICs in it. So great little servers in that. And, um, you know, it doesn't take up a lot of space.
1: Super quiet, super power efficient. So these are the good ones. Well, they can make for a good little little home media or storage device as well. Um, oh, yeah. You know, you, you can run an open filer or something similar for eNAS on there. Um, so for a home lab setup, they're actually actually really good. Um You know, like I said, I'm running two of them at the moment, so I've I've maxed them out with 16 gig in both. I've got a white box that I'm sort of beginning to build up as well, so I'll probably transition across to that in time. But, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it runs really well. Um, I'm actually running shared storage, actually, on them, um, as opposed to running it separately. So I'm using the... um, uh, the EMC VNX VSA. Uh, and I've managed to get my hands on to a copy. It's, uh, for, for, for testing, internal testing purposes only of, of the Isilon. So, uh, so, uh, that's, that's really good. Great NAS, because it
2: holds four drives. Who cares about the CPU on a NAS? So, in the memory, you don't need a lot. So this thing, you know, 300 bucks, just over 300 bucks to get one of these, put four drives in it, put something like
1: OpenFireware on it, and you got a great little NAS device that, you know, you built yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's ideal. I mean, for anyone studying for their VCP or any of the other, uh, uh, VMware, you know, certifications, they're a good little test bed. I mean, um in a lot of respects, the 110 was better because, I mean, you can take that up to 32 gig and then, then you can start doing all the cool nesting stuff and a lot more stuff. Uh, what have yeah. you. Um, the 110 it has the, the four core CPU
2: with hyper threading, so it looks like eight cores in uh, ESX, so that was, was nice too, mm. Matt. So yeah, I, I do like both. I got two of each. And that, Um so I also check out the three hundred series to see what the where the price point is. I think that's more expensive, so it's a little bit harder to for people on a budget to go up to that series. You know, these are a little bit more
1: affordable. And then if I want to see what those are yeah. price wise, and you know how much you can expand them. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, no, that's good. So that's pretty much my lab at the moment. Is uh, I've, I've rebuilt it from scratch, like David. I'm running five five point one. Okay. Um, I do have a, a an iMEGA IX on the back, and I've got a couple of VMs running off the PX at the moment. But okay. like I say, the majority of my stuff I'm actually running off um, uh, the, the, the EMC VSAs uh, on, the, on the machine itself. Okay. Um, and that seems to be running quite well. So. Cool. Um, Good, good good, for a lab environment, but, you know, obviously it would run in production. Yeah, yeah, um, great for a lab.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned the Synology. Um, I've got a Synology, um, and I just love the interface. Out of every NAS I've ever used, the interface on it is just so cool. I mean, it's got performance charts that shows, you know, the, the I.O. traffic going in and out. Um, it tells you what devices are connected to it. It... It's got all these different applications you can add, almost like an app store. I mean, you can make it a VPN, a mail server, yeah. a WordPress server. You can run a CMS on it. Um, this crazy stuff you can do with this little NAS... I've been really impressed with
2: the interface. Oh yeah, that's what impressed me about the Synology is where across their entire product line you had the same features even from this little two unit all the way up to the bigger ones. You had all those same features across the whole product line and a lot of robustness in that. Um Netgear was the other one that impressed me as well, that they had a lot of nice features as well and the interface was nice too in that. But yeah, I agree. Um these are that's the reason these things are so popular, the Synology brand, um, is because of, you know, Mm -hmm. the design, their interface and all the features that they provide.
0: Yeah, I've got a Drobo, uh, the 800i, um, with like 12 terabytes of storage in it. Okay. <laughs> so I got lots oh, of space. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. and it's, so it's great for vSphere, but, yeah. um, I've been trying to actually, I've been having some difficulty connecting to it with iSCSI through, um, through the Mac. Um, so it, uh, it's yeah. only an iSCSI. It's only an iSCSI yeah. SAN. It mm-hmm. doesn't do any NAS. Nothing but iSCSI.
2: That's what I I didn't like about Drobos is the lower-end ones were direct attached. You can't even do that. They never had NAS. They have one unit specifically, I think, where you can put those applets on there and make NAS out of it or something. Um, so yeah. you know all everything. All the other ones offer both iSCSI or NFS,
1: and um, it seemed weird that they wouldn't offer that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I had the same thing, David. I had a, um, I had a Drobo Elite and, um, I've still got it somewhere, but, um, yeah, I had the same issue trying to connect it through to my Mac because I was going to use the Elite to store my video editing files because I thought that's ideal. You know, I'll, I'll put eight drives in there so I'll get good throughput. I just gave up in the end because, um, where it gets its iSCSI drivers on the Mac is you've got to install the, um, Drobo dashboard. Right. Uh, the Drobo dashboard and also you've got to have from memory, you've got to have Java installed as well. So if you've got those two things right. installed, because natively OS X doesn't come with a nice SCSI driver. Uh, so we, there is a uh, quite a popular third party one that you can uh download. It used to be free, but you've got to pay for it now. Uh
0: and that is called global something. Yeah, right. global sand. If you have the free one, send it my way, because I, I wasn't going to pay like 99 bucks they want for it now.
1: No, no, but no, no. If you got the dashboard, um, see I installed the dashboard against the Elite and it never worked. So I got in touch with their support guys, this is a while back now, and they said, right, deinstall it. Um, make sure you got Java installed. They said, so there must be some Java aspect that it uses or something like that. Install Java, then reinstall the Drobo dashboard again. And then I found that without installing any third party drivers, the, uh, the um, uh, my Mac, my X instance uh, picked up the um, uh, picked up the drives or all
0: the shares. Yeah, so I Yeah, don't you might wanna... get it working, um, but it's not. It's just not real consistent. Like it'll be connected, and then I'll reboot, and it's not connected anymore, and I can't figure out how to get it connected. And
1: yeah, um, that's what I had. I got back on the
0: end. end. Yeah, I mean, unlike a file share where you can just connect and reconnect, it it doesn't work like that. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Drobo itself, I mean, the, the manufacturing, it's, it's a solid box. Um, yeah, you in. can add all your own drives. I really like the, the, the design of it. I mean, it's, it's slick looking. It's really yeah. cool. It's just, uh, the price point so, is a bit
2: higher on those two, though, which, um, for a lot of people that are looking for a more affordable NAS, they tend to be a little bit more expensive on their
1: end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what about, uh, VMware? Any, any news about VMware stuff? Um, well, I guess today. I mean, it came out a little while
1: ago, but it seems to have hit the headlines today for some reason. Um, obviously, there's the VMware, um, you know, directory. Uh, traversal exploit that can be applied against um, a VMware View environment. Um, there is a patch out for it, but uh, that for some reason it must be pretty quiet pre-Christmas. Uh, a lot of, sort of IT news agencies have picked up on. Um, like I say, there's a fix for it, but uh, you know it's just an exploit that you've got to be aware of and apply the patch uh, as soon as you can.
0: Yeah, I've been testing the uh, VMware Multi Hypervisor Manager. They call it the MHM. And uh, it used to be a, a VMware fling called uh, vCenter XVP Manager. And so what it was was a, a server product you, you add on your vCenter server and then a, a vSphere client plug then you can manage Hyper-V servers with it. And so it went from a fling, and now it's an official VMware product that you download along with, you know, vCenter in there. And, um I had some trouble with it, and they're, they're on the community. Their product manager was really responsive, It helped me get it working, and um, you know he said they're going to keep releasing new new updates to it. Uh, it's an official product, it's supported, and oh. uh, they soon will be supporting Windows twenty twelve Server and other hypervisors as well, like KVM and Zen Server. And but the the downside to me to it is you still can't those, those servers and virtual machines aren't in the vSphere client, or aren't in the vSphere inventory with your other, you know, ESXi hosts and virtual machines. You have to go into a different place in the vSphere client, you know, to see them. It's also not compatible with the web client, you know, so there's some downsides, but um, it, it's interesting. It's completely free. I mean, uh, you have to register, of course, with a VMware account, you know, to download it huh. and have to have vCenter to use it, but it's not as fully functional as... Um, I recently tested and and wrote a white paper about uh, Hotlink, which is a a multi-hypervisor management tool. And the theory on my white paper was that, you know, kind of like storage, where you've got tiered storage, you've got, you know, Fiber Channel and iSCSI and down to, you know, SAS or whatever, um, that you could have tiered hypervisors. So you'd have vSphere as tier one, you might have, you know, Windows 2012 server as tier two, and then you know, free Zen server, it's tier 3 or something. And with a, if you had the right product, you could very easily, you know, drag and drop virtual machines or move virtual machines from one hypervisor to the other. Each one would have different SLAs. And so do you think, my question for you guys as virtualization experts, do you think the theory of tiered tiered hypervisors is plausible? Kind of like Mythbusters here. We'll do truth, (laughs) truth, plausible, or busted. I think it's plausible. I mean,
1: it's plausible whether you'd want to do it. Problem is, you introduce new hypervisors into your environments. Then you've got you know extra patching uh, responsibilities. Obviously, um, you know your support people will skill sets have got to upskill themselves not just in one hypervisor and multiple hypervisors. You know, let's say um, uh, you know one of the, one of the hypervisor um, uh, manufacturers, you know, or some companies, you know, bring out an update. The breaks, maybe one of the upper, the functionality that's dependent by one of, you know, for one of the other hypervisors, or you know maybe maybe the conduit between the two or something like that uh, through the tearing or something. I don't know. I think you know the more more different things you add into the mix. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, keep it simple. Uh, approach to IT, uh, don't overcomplicate it where you have to. I like the idea from a, from a concept point of view. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. You know, it would be a good thing to get up and running in the lab, uh, and muck around just because you can, uh, if you have got time. But, uh, I think in the real world, I don't know, I'm sure there are benefits to it. But I mean, like I say, the whole, the whole upskilling and the, uh, the patching aspects was, you know, make it a, day, uh, it's too much of a no-no for me, anyway. Management. Yeah, and it's interesting. You see these yeah. industry
2: surveys that say like forty percent of companies are running multiple hypervisors. I always question that. That okay, because I'm running a hundred VMware servers and one hype and one Hyper-V server. That's multiple hypervisors, but what are the percentages there of how much do they have? You know, I, I find that I think most enterprises are going to want one main hypervisor in their environment and that's it. They may have pockets of other hypervisors here and there, but you know, there's so many disadvantages to the management, the skill sets, the costs, um, all that stuff of doing things that why would you want to go through that hassle of managing multiple hypervisors and that, you know, I can see some of the benefits if You know, Microsoft has bundled in that that you could maybe use that on like a development environment or something like that. Um, But I think most enterprises are going to stick with one main hypervisor and not try to, you know, have a mix of them. You know, predominantly in the production environment.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, Eric. I mean, I think that's definitely the case. You, you, you'll probably find, you know, there'll be one hypervisor used for all the, uh, you know, production uh, of VMs or machines. And then the IT, you know, the IT guys like ourselves, you can't help yourselves. Like a new version of Hyper-V come out. If you've got a bit of time, you may want to spin it up. And you might start running a few of your back office or your, you know, non-business critical sort of back office utilities on it or something like that. Just, to, you know, try and familiarize yourself with it. But, um, yeah, I think, think on the whole, obviously there's always going to be exceptions, right? But I think, you know, the vast majority of the companies are going to be running their, their production VMs on, on a single hypervisor, whether it be VMware, you know, Hyper-V or, or, or other, um, you know, uh, some of the larger organizations where you've got sort of maybe multiple IT departments you know, they're that large, uh, maybe distributed geographically or similar, then, yeah, okay, you might, you know, you'll have uh, situations there where they've decided on a particular hypervisor platform. But uh, I think for the majority of companies, like you say, you know, they'll they'll, they'll be running a single hypervisor predominantly.
2: Yeah, plus you lose, uh, like, the ability to, if I got a VMware environment here and a Microsoft here, and i want to transition vms across it's a pain in the butt i'm not fully you know utilizing my hardware if i had one hypervisor i could easily spread vms around across that whole environment rather than having these pockets now and that that can't talk to each other directly in that so um, so, yeah, if, I just don't really see the, the benefits today. And that may change as we get maybe more tools, more interconnectivity between the hypervisor platforms and that with, you know, the way directions VMware is going and that. And I'm sure on the Microsoft side as well. Um, I think in cloud environments, it may make sense to have that, um, that multi-hypervisor, you know, especially in the public clouds and that. Um, you know, where a mix is needed, maybe because one hypervisor works better for this and another one for this and that. So, but no, in the private data center, you know, I think we're always going to see one main hypervisor for you know at least the immediate future.
1: Yeah, no, agree. Yeah, definitely. This point in time, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Uh, going forward, definitely. You know, with the public cloud becoming more prevalent, yeah, we we will no doubt see multiple hypervisors and you know slicker ways of moving VMs between the, the, these various hypervisors. But yeah, that's. You know, to hit the mainstream, I think, you know, two-point is still way off, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it'd have to come down to uh, cost. You know, kind of like where, you know, if, if cost was no issue, then why not just put everything on fiber channel storage? You know, yeah, well, we, the you thing. know, they, organizations have tiered storage because there's a huge financial yeah. benefit. So it'd have to be, like, you could save $200,000 a year in vSphere licenses by moving half your servers to a Hyper-V tier, you know, then, well, okay, maybe, maybe it's, it's plausible, you know, for those companies. Um, the other interesting thing they were doing at Hotlink is, um, you can have Amazon EC2 servers in your vSphere vCenter inventory, just as, just as vSphere VDMs. So you can move virtual machines from vSphere to Amazon and from Amazon to vSphere. So you've got a, a hybrid cloud all managed by vCenter. Oh, nice. So it's a, Interesting, interesting concept. Um, it's, it's unique and VMware's product is more, uh, their new multi hypervisor to me is more to, to try to convince you to move Hyper-V virtual machines, you know, into vSphere. Okay. <laughs> uh, they said there's, they're soon going to be integrating VMware converter. So you could just right click on a Hyper-V virtual machine and bring it to okay. vSphere. So I, I don't think VMware has a long-term interest in helping you manage multiple hypervisors. Yeah, yeah. It's that more of an right. interest in helping you see them and bring them to yeah. vSphere and, you know, assimilate them into the, the collective kind of thing. So the same foot, yes, foot side
2: true with Microsoft as well. Their support for vSphere ESX inside of System Center probably the same reasoning that you know, hey, we want to right. help you to be able to bring that over easier than you could you know, with other tools. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, cool. well so we wrap with uh, predictions for 2013. One quick train signal announcement. What you got going there now? And then we'll do our twenty. Oh, go on, man.
0: Okay. Okay. Thanks. Um, so uh, <laughs> we'll be releasing um, Jason Nash's uh, VCenter Operations Manager course. Okay. Uh, here just after uh, the first of the year, January third, I think. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to watching it um, because I know Jason has used, you know, VCenter Ops, you know, in, a, in a production, you know, with different customers. So interesting yeah. to hear his take on it. Um, and then my two new Hyper-V Windows 2012 courses will be coming out, um, in mid-January. Um, Hyper-V Essentials and, uh, New Features. So I learned a lot about the product, uh, sometimes painfully by <laughs> creating those, <laughs> those Hyper-V courses. Uh-huh. So, um. are well, good. No, they yeah, sound good. good. I definitely
2: yeah. I'm going yeah. more about the, the vCenter Ops. It's, uh, Definitely a new product for VMware cool. that they're really trying to grow fast. And, uh, I think we're going to see more and more, especially with it being bundled now, more and more adoption of that, cool. um,
1: with it. Hey, look, we got a visitor, special guest here on the VChat. So if you, if you're wondering, I'm working from home today. So, uh, I'm, I'm on, uh, dog sitting duty. So, uh, if you're wondering what the noises were in the uh, background there, okay. it's this little guy loves to chew cables, unfortunately. Yeah. If you go dark, <laughs> you won't know why. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hey so but they, they they sound really good. Jason Nash, um yeah, I've met Jason on a number of occasions, uh really super smart guy, uh good communicator as well, so that's definitely one to look out for. Interesting topic as well. So uh, I look forward to that. Um Actually I've got a plug to do if I can. Um so VBS. So vBears.org, uh if you haven't heard of that, uh check it out, vBears.org. Um uh, what the thinking is behind it is basically to get, uh, you know, all us, uh, IT professionals out there and, uh, geeks and what have you, a uh, good opportunity to, um, meet up with like-minded people over a pint, uh, or drink, soft drink, really doesn't matter, um, at a, at a, particular location, at a particular time. And it's a good way to, you know, network, meet new friends, uh, share, uh, war stories from in the trenches, uh, within IT there, uh, and just meet new people and, um, you know, share ideas, concepts about, you know, Stuff you've seen, stuff you want to try out. Um, so anyway, we've so got uh, on BBS.org, Jump on there. You can, uh, you know, you can advertise your own BBS events. Uh, doesn't cost anything. we will these rather funky little. uh VBS coasters so if you're organizing a VBS event uh drop me a line there's details on the site there i'll send you out some coasters um they're kind of fun um especially if people don't know each other so if the organizer's there before everyone else and he uses the coaster then it, it, it's it, it's easier to uh, spot and find people that are linked with the VBS event for that evening um so um yeah they're proven really successful especially in the states there's one it's almost a couple every couple uh sorry a couple every week so uh check that out and my last Last thing is, I want to say thank you very much to Craig Chapman, uh, or Chappie, for this uh, rather cool Ego Zero thick T-shirt. So uh, thank you, Chappie, I've uh, finally got around to wearing it, and uh, it's very cool indeed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. And that's me. Yeah, Before I just I went to beers.org and actually, I didn't know that there were so many in the U.S. I thought it was, you know, you guys in the U.K., yeah, the majority of them are, are in the U S. Um,
1: we've been really pleased how it's taken off. Um, like I say, I mean, you know, we've probably got new VBS events coming, coming up every two, three days, uh, dropping in. So, uh, check out the site cause it's changing all the time. And like I say, anyone can create their own. I mean, VBS.org is really just, it's more of a framework for the community to know what to do. You know, it's, it's just a good opportunity to advertise your VBS event that you've got and, uh, get out there and create your own and, you know, meet, uh, meet other IT professionals and, uh, Share stories and have a few laughs over a, a drink in a social environment. So, uh, yeah.
0: So, <laughs> and it, and it yeah. says here, it says here you guys are even multi hypervisor, that you support uh, people who are interested in Hyper B and Zen as well. We are Hyper-V, uh, yeah, we are um
1: <laughs> hypervisor agnostic, Um so yeah, no, it's great, I mean, we've had Microsoft people along before here in the UK, and it's great, actually, because you get people with different experiences and skills and stuff like that, so it's a good opportunity to learn, I mean, uh, occasionally, you know, we get vendors along as well, I mean, the big thing is, we, you know, we don't want it to be a vendor fest at all, so it's not an opportunity for vendors to get in there and start, you know, pitching or anything like that, if you you know, if the vendors come along, basically leave their sales hat at the door. But, I mean, it's a good opportunity for them to find out more as to what's happening, what people's thoughts are and their experiences uh, and what have you and vice versa. You know, um, good, good, good you know, good opportunity to uh, compare products that perhaps you've been using at work and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's been really popular and it's well-received. I always really enjoy it because you always get to meet new people and, uh, you know, always love talking talking uh, IT and tech. So, uh, great opportunity.
0: Well, Cool. Cool. Well, do we need to wrap up or you guys want to do predictions? Uh, We could do a couple real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm slowly getting more, I'm slowly getting eaten here. Um, I'm going to put the dog back on the floor. Alrighty. What's your prediction, Simon?
1: Uh, Okay, predictions. um, Well, it's obvious stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I haven't got anything to, uh, too, too amazing to come forth with. But uh you know, it'll be stuff where obviously uh software defined data center, we're gonna see that become much more prevalent. Um we're gonna see more and more vendors jump onto the uh SDDC bandwagon. Uh, we'll continue to see um uh, flash in storage uh, also become uh, more predominant as well. Um things like, you know, fast cash all that type of goodness as well. That's obviously gonna become more uh, more and more popular. Um uh, we'll probably see a couple of acquisitions, you know, uh, a couple of uh, buyouts. I mean, that's, that's almost a guarantee these days, you know, but uh, maybe some of the larger companies uh, maybe out shopping for, for some of their peers there. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. It'll be usual stuff. I mean, cloud's obviously going to mature even more. Uh become become a lot more mature. Um, public cloud much more acceptance. We'll see the hybrid cloud becoming more more and more accepted, more popular. Uh, with more more companies adopting that out there. Um, oh, it should be a fun year. I mean, I think definitely the technologies and everything are of, of, of the maturity now, where you're going to see some pretty cool things coming out. So uh, you know, it's good. A lot of small startups in the storage space, which is good. That's competition keeps us, keeps the uh, us larger sort of storage companies honest and uh, keeps us developing, which I'll. We do anyway, but uh, no, it's, it's it's good. I mean, it's all it's a great time to be in the industry, you know, um, hypervisor, storage, network, or otherwise. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, some great stuff coming out, and to be part of that is 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 uh, very fortunate indeed. So, yeah, nothing nothing too amazing there. All common sense stuff. But uh, what about you guys?
2: Um, yeah, I think you nailed a lot of the ones that'll will probably happen next year. You know, I'm sure VMware will go on an acquiring spree some more. I think they have a lot of the key pieces in place right now, but I'm sure they'll try to bolster any missing gaps or holes that they might have. And kind of that whole software defined data center vision, that whole cloud platform management that they, um, they're currently trying to drive to, um, uh, I predict a licensing change yet again next year. (laughs) Seems like every year they change it, but who knows if they'll do it again or not. You know, I think they're on the right track now with the way they switched back finally. So, you know, maybe it'll stick this time. Um, but maybe not, who knows? Um, you know, I, Next year, you also probably see some changes around the networking side. You know, VMware bought that in a year. They haven't really done much at all with it this year. Um, I think next year you may see a vSwitch or something based on that in and that or some you know changes coming out there. Um, what else? Um, uh, yeah, that's about it for me. It should be an interesting year. You know, I think with the the big release from VMware expected next year, I think it'll be exciting year. And that it'll be you know those those big new versions of vSphere are always fun because a lot of new features a lot of new functionality. You know VMware did lay the groundwork, um, like I said, for a lot of the new stuff coming in mobile computing and on the storage side. Um, so whether that finally comes to light next year, it'd be nice at VMware to and this, instead of them finally show you know showing us what's coming to actually be able to show it and that you know here's what we have now and not have to continually wait for their advances there so but it should be a great year overall I think and uh, look forward to yeah what happens.
1: Yeah, I think the next this, the next year, rather, 2013, will be a year where you see some pretty cool things starting to sort of emerge based on, uh, like, say, Eric, from announcements. Maybe, you know, Project Horizon might finally see something around that as well. Um, but one thing I just thought of that I didn't mention, obviously, big data as well. You know, it's, it's been banded around it's, uh, as a buzzword, but I think we're going to see more and more acceptance or at least widespread understanding of what it is and, um, you know, more products based around that as well in the coming year. Yep.
0: I think you guys just about covered everything. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do the obvious one. Apple's going to release some some cool new you know products, iPads and iPhones. Um, that's bound to come true. Um, VMware, yeah, it's, they've got to release a new major you know vSphere. I'm I'm guessing. Um, and you know, I, I just hope that there's some you know kind of silver bullet out there, something new that comes along that we just all say, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, we we don't know what we did before we had this in the virtualization and cloud space, you know. Uh, Maybe VMware will have their own public cloud that will be really cool, you know, kind of based on their their project knee and the hands-on labs that is just a really slick interface. I think if they came out with their own public cloud that had that sort of really slick interface, um, something very usable and, you know, interface with vSphere, I think would be super cool. uh, But yeah, it's going to be an exciting year. Uh, definitely, definitely. Actually, one
1: thing you mentioned there about Apple. I mean, I don't know. My, my gut feeling for this coming year, I think Apple's beginning to lose traction and followership. Um, you know, Google's definitely coming through the Nexus devices now. I mean, I've always, I wouldn't call myself an Apple fanboy, but I've always liked the products and the integration. But I don't feel there's been anything too that's really wowed me over the last eighteen months from Apple. You know, it's been yeah. improvements, faster, maybe slightly, you know, uh, thinner, thinner devices. But that's been about, about it. And this has been the first time, probably in a good couple of years, that I've Actually, seriously thought about going across to Nexus, uh, across to Android-based uh, you know um, devices, whether it's the tablets or maybe even the phone. Um, and I think, especially with their aggressive price points around the phone, I think uh, I think Apple's going to lose a bit of market share around that. I think they've got to come out with some really uh, something really quite quite special. I think this coming year, otherwise uh, they're going to continue to sort of uh, hemorrhage a few sort of loyal users mm-hmm. and what have you.
2: I felt that way for a while now. They've kind of lost that magic and that, that, you know, it's not really a, um, a revolutionary. Every now they come out with a device, just a standard upgrade, not much there on that. So that's the reason I went from Apple to um, Android and that. And I think now with increased competition on the Microsoft side with some viable products there, um, they'll also face increased competition there as well. So, yeah, I agree that I think we'll probably see Apple, you know, start to go on the decline. I think they still have the tablet market nailed pretty well. But on the phone market, you know, I think that's one area um, where we'll see some market share loss. And not sure on the Mac side if they're ever really going to be able to keep up with Microsoft. I know they've gained market share, but, you know, that's another thing that most enterprises run Windows. So I don't think we're going to see too much movement there as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I (laughs) don't know. And one last thing from me. My prediction is I'm not going to try recording a vchat with a dog under my desk again in 2013. It doesn't work.
0: <laughs> well, chats are bound to be better now that you have more bandwidth. Oh, so, yeah, oh,
1: yeah 70 meg down and 20 meg up. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with that. So, uh, hopefully, I'm not all pixelated like I've been for about the last two years. So, <laughs> me. the that's a good thing or a bad thing? I was pixelated. Uh, maybe it was a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's been Alrighty, good, guys.
2: guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. Happy Great. holidays to everybody. And, uh,
0: yeah, Merry Christmas, Christmas. Happy holidays. See you guys. Cool. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for watching this episode of VChat, the latest in virtualization and cloud computing news and how-to. Eric, Simon, and David want your feedback, so send questions or ideas for future VChat topics to vchat
0: at trainsignal.com.